Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey everyone, welcome to the 393rd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by our wonderful patrons, Ryan Valdez, Jennifer Liao, Sarah Demestri, and Saurabh Chakraborty. Thank you so much to all our new patrons. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today, it's a Matt and Oren catch-up episode. We've got a lot to talk about. But before we talk about that, we have an important announcement to make. We've seen literally hundreds of you sign up for our upcoming live event. Take it away, Oren. <laughs> I have to do this? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Of course I have to do this. Yeah, so hundreds. Can you say if it's like 1.200, that's hundreds? Mm, I guess maybe 200 one would be. One? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we have a lot of people have signed up for this event on October 18th. And unfortunately, very, very, very unfortunately... And depressingly, it is no longer going to be on October 18th. But the good news is we're moving it potentially to the following week. We are going to know tomorrow uh, what our new date is going to be. The truth is I got a job in Atlanta and I have to be in Atlanta all of next week. And it's such a bummer because I can't tell everyone how excited I was about uh, this live show. We haven't done it forever. And I like literally was considering not doing the job but, you know, it's a it's a good job. It's a commercial. I unfortunately couldn't not take the job. And when I told Matt that, he was like, yeah, man, that's the show. What I think you meant by that is like, is hopefully like part of our appeal is that we're two working directors and not just like podcasters that like are criticizing directing or mm-hmm. pontificating about directing. Like that's the nature of being a working director. And I think part of what we try to do, the reason we talk about ourselves besides being egomaniacs is also to illustrate what the lifestyle is like. And if we haven't made it clear at this point, it makes it pretty hard to to make plans. Um, and so unfortunately, most of the time we're talking about seeing our families in some meaningful way. And in this case, it's seeing our podcasting family. Do not worry. We are going to have the same theme, the same topic. We're going to dig in on it. Um, It just will be likely about a week later. We will firm it up by the time you're listening. Yeah. It's still going to be Black Magic is going to give away free stuff. We have a pizza sponsor. There's going to be free food and drinks. We're still going to do it at the Sawhorse Party House and our panel, which was a really awesome panel. We have yet to confirm with them that they are available for our new date because we don't know our new date yet because I'm waiting till tomorrow to find out if I have to go out of town again for another job and i can't think of anything worse than a double postponement so mm. yeah it's um, a bad luck it's a bad luck um but congrats oren it's great that you are busy um and uh that you'll have lots of great insight and stories to bring back from those shoots so um it's right. really and kind just of a, a little win. 
Yeah, just a little business before we move on to our next topic. We're going to send everyone that has a ticket now all the details about the new show. If you joined our Patreon because you wanted to get a ticket, you wanted to ensure that you get a ticket, and now you can no longer go to the new date, then let us know. We're happy to refund you for joining um, just to get a ticket. And that's it. You can always email us, always tell us your thoughts and everything, not just related to the live show, but anything you ever want to talk to us, Matt and I, Directly read the emails, just shoot it pod at gmail.com. We, we try to get back to as many as we can, but we do get a lot of like interview requests um, and we can't, we can't even schedule our own live show. So sometimes it's really hard for us to just schedule everyone that, that emails us. So uh, know that we're still rooting for you, getting your emails, listening to you, and we do our best to respond to them when we can, but we appreciate you all. And we can't wait to see whoever can make it to the live show. And so stay tuned for that. And we'll obviously post things on our Instagram and stuff to keep you updated. And one more thing I wanted to touch on before we get into some filmmaking topics. A lot of listeners of our show know that I'm Israeli and that I, I grew up in Israel. My dad lives in Israel and a lot of people today, Tony Gapastioni, just a few minutes ago, reached out and just checked in uh, because, you know, there's been some uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on there. And it's kind of a scary time. Um, and a lot of lives have been lost. My dad is doing okay now, just, um, you know, waiting to see what happens next, but I have a lot of family there. And so, you know, I've kind of always been, I, I try not to be too political and stuff and try not to even like go on social media and post my opinion because I just feel like it's so noisy and everyone is doing every celebrity is saying every, and it's like, I don't feel like I'm adding to the discussion in any positive way aside from just saying like yeah me too but when i was talking to my dad yesterday he told me how much like they appreciate just hearing people you know um like there was a a really a pretty amazing speech by biden yesterday at least in the eyes of like israeli people and like that it is appreciated you know so so to everyone that's reached out to me and just checked in thank you that was very nice of you um and know that it's appreciated and uh, I'm hoping things get better uh, in the, you know, not too far future. Anyhow, on that note, let's talk about some storyboards you drew. <laughs> Listeners will know I'm kind of in light prep on, uh, on my upcoming feature. Waiting for this SAG strike to officially wrap up before we go out with a handful of offers. It's very exciting times. And uh, So wait, let me ask you, can you, you and I'm, I feel like I might ask you this before and I apologize mm-hmm. and I'm rehashing it, but... Because of the strike, you can't even make an offer? Basically, um, no one is going to, and when I say no one, I mean no agents, basically, are going to read or send along your materials, your offers, unless you have an interim agreement. Oh, right. right. Um, and, and the interim agreement is like, if you've applied to be a SAC signatory and you've signed this agreement that says that whatever the deal is at the end of the strike is one that you're agreeing to, then uh, then you can move forward, basically. And so that's how certain productions have managed to, to stay in production, independent films, basically, um, and why certain celebrities are allowed to attend different film festivals and things like that. And there to our a, listeners, by the way, this this episode comes out tomorrow. If the strike is already over by the time we're listening to this, I'm sorry. Yeah, totally. <laughs> sorry you're listening um, to this. But so it, how it, do you get that agreement? So you sign up to be a signatory, and then simultaneously you can they send you a link that says like hey if you want to sign up to for the interim agreement even though you don't have your sag production number which is oftentimes the keystone to unlocking all of the things you need to unlock and prove that you're a 
a real production, it takes 10 minutes to fill out a form, basically. The catch is, is that for the last, you know, 50 days, no, sorry, 80 days, everyone's been trying to get these interim agreements. There's like a backlog. There's a backlog. And so the priority has been films that were about to go into production, essentially. Um, rightfully so. Like if you're like, hey, we're, we're finance, we have locations, finance, we have let's, everything. Let's do this. Put those people to the front of the list. And then there's also a lot of films out there that are completed that, um, for instance, wanted to tour in film festivals and things like that. They need an interim agreement in order for their actors to be able to promote their film in any way. And that's from being on a red carpet all the way to like an Instagram post, honestly, depending on how strict people are about you know, adhering to the rules of the strike. Certainly there are some actors who, you know, are like, yeah, it's a selfie, no big deal. But like the letter of the laws, you shouldn't be promoting it in any way. So then those people need, those are front burners as well. We are in pre-pre-production. And so it's moving pretty slowly. And literally we got an email that was kind of like, hey, you know, hit us back if, uh, if you don't hear anything by this date. And it was like, a long ways into the future and it feels like this could be me reading into it but it feels like the subtext is kind of like we all know it's probably going to be over by then so don't worry about it you know um this was an agent or the no, sag, no, sag said says, the sag automated email so that, that's probably oh, no. that's really me putting words into their mouth i'm being you know cheeky but uh yeah likely by the time we would have gotten our interim agreement everything the dust will have settled already but even though it's early days reaching out to talent at least if you go through the traditional methods you're reaching out to their agent even if you've got a good relationship with them they're kind of not reading right now unless that that agreement is in place not kind of they're officially saying they're not reading so look if you run into you know your old friend from high school who's now a big tv star at a party you know maybe they you slip them something on the side that's not our situation right now and so um we're just kind of locked and loaded with the people that we want to go out to and all of that stuff um for as soon as this strike is finally over so um all of that being said i'm doing kind of the other uh things that we talked about in the last episode of like previs and that sort of stuff and i started doing two things kind of more for my own process than anything because everything's going to change a bunch but who knows one is storyboarding shot listing kind of putting those that those materials together more f- so that it helps pre-production i can get a sense of like oh, how many shots do i think this is going to be in an ideal world how much time should we allocate to this can i do this in a one or all of that stuff because it's still going to be an indie movie that's got you know, the schedule is always going to be an issue. So like the more I can um, prepare the VFX and like put the resources where things are going to be trickier, the better. Right. And so um, it just kind of forces me to put everything on paper. Um, And then the other thing is that uh, again, from a process perspective, but also from a marketing perspective, um, our old pal, Jim Cummings has always recommended doing an audio play of, um, of his screenplays because he knows that people don't read. And so you send them a, a file or a link or whatever, and they can listen on their drive. And like, if you do a nice job, um, it can be a really handy tool for people basically who are maybe the reading list is too long, but like they want to get a sense of the script. 
Wait, are you putting the scene descriptions in the audio play? Yes. So that lead, that's a perfect segue. So there's a handful of different things that one could do. Jim just pulls out a Zoom recorder and just kind of reads everything and does all the voices. And maybe he layers in a little bit of audio, like some sound effects here and there. I had started doing this on a previous draft and listened to it and was like, oh, this is pretty good. This is fun, actually. I get how this could be really helpful. I had layered in sound. I had layered in like ambience and, you know, thrown a few very light effects on my voice just so you could maybe tell the difference between the characters a little bit better. Used all of my unpaid endorsements for mm-hmm. weird sound plugins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, actually, actually, you know, mostly just uh, essentials essential uh, dialogue editing but like you know who knows i might get a little fancier um but i had the thought i was like oh since i started doing this now ai is out there there are a lot of different companies that could immediately read the screenplay and in some cases even like detect which character is which and assign them different ai voices that used to be like a feature in final draft didn't it wasn't it oh, like maybe. you could sign different voices and you can have it read it to you but it was like horrible there is um i guess word has that as well they're like it's built into word um but microsoft so there are, word mm-hmm. word uh there are a handful of different companies out there doing it and oren i don't know that it's ready for prime time <laughs> so you did it did you use like 11 labs or one of those companies um i don't want to besmirch any of these companies because i think they're trying to do something kind of cool and especially when they're trying to cater to filmmakers and you just maybe you're not in a community where you have access to a bunch of actors maybe this is something viable i don't think it's meant to replace things they're probably mm-hmm. they're they wish it could replace things so who knows but um having the one-to-one comparison of the first few scenes of the previous draft to what purely from a performance perspective um, to what what an AI does, mm-hmm. it just feels really, really far away. So it made me value actors. And also, I was like, well, this is going to just take me a couple days to do. It's going to take a while. <laughs> so, so, are um, you, so you're going to cast all the actors? Um, I'm just going to do the voices myself, actually. Um, That's what Jim Cummings does. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Originally, I was thinking that I'd get people to come out and do this and that. Uh, but it's like a nice way to force yourself to just re-familiarize your, yourself with the characters. And, um, you know, if no one ever hears it, it's not the end of the world to me. But it was just like, oh, this is a nice backing track. I can start laying in storyboards and do animatics for the more complicated sequences. So you're doing this like in Adobe Premiere or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, I, it, it was therapeutic to kind of come full circle like i said i started off having done it that way and then was like hey well let me explore some tools you know you get into some reddit threads and things like that and i you know it's it's nice to have the control and to do it the old-fashioned way but i'm curious oren are there tools that i'm overlooking for the audio play version of my prep that come to mind to you so there's this company, 11labs.io. I don't know mm-hmm. if you messed with them or not. They do, they generate voices. 
I don't know that you would feed a script into it, but you would basically write one line at a time, mm-hmm. you know, and it has all these preloaded voices. And I think it can all, you can also train it with other voices. And from what I've seen from their demos, there've been, I've used them for like temp VO and stuff on jobs. And I literally had to say to the editor, like, is that whose voice is that? Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, it's an AI. Like it's, there's something like if you know it's AI generated, you might feel like there's a mm-hmm. a cadence to it that's like a little too consistent, but it's pretty good and you can adjust, you can kind of direct it a little bit, I think, too. And it's obviously only getting better every day. If I had if I had done the um the version where I had my friends come and everyone played a different role and mm-hmm. i realized oh i need to add a character or something like that if it was kind of like a very bite-sized performance and it would be a lot of work to have someone come back i think i would consider that um but when you listen to the this this film is essentially four lead characters and then the voice of the narrator scene description um it just feels too ro- robotic you know, yeah. and also it's a comedy, right? It's a horror comedy. So like the two most tricky things about either of those genres is the performance, is the tone. And so the point of this of this practice is, besides my process, is illustrating to an investor who maybe isn't as practiced in reading a screenplay to glean a little bit more of the scares and comedy from the written word. And so um, it just makes more sense for a, a performer who has an understanding of the nuances to, to glean, you know, to, to add a little bit extra to it. So um, though, you know, uh, does 11 labs also do music, customized music, um, generation um, or is that a different company i think that might be a different company they're mainly ai voice and they do they're like the ones that can like learn your voice and then mm-hmm. say translate it to a different language oh that's interesting i think most of those companies can do that now you and know you know like the idea is like hey you make your movie for netflix and now it's available mm-hmm. in every mm-hmm. language natively yeah. yeah without having to dub it um yeah no well that's cool i'm i'm curious to see like it seems to me super useful just for starters as like a way to test your own screenplay, yeah. you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think in doing it all yourself, you you put yourself in those performers' shoes, right? So you're thinking through the character from that lens and like you know you're probably also just thinking sound wise, right? Like, oh mm-hmm. now a door creaks, now mm-hmm. a footstep, now yeah. this, now yeah. the you know, and like, you know, I'm doing the scripted podcast, and so for us it's like we have all these scenes that take place in a school back to back. And I was like, I do not want to have a freaking bell ringing between every scene. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, what are the sounds that tell you, mm-hmm. okay, now we're in the next class. You're Shuffling chair rooms, room. locker doors, all of that yeah. stuff. Backpack, and Julie, yeah. my co-writer and me, we are always, did I, I don't know if I told you about this, but I had written a slug line like um, interior bedroom night or something. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote, uh, you know, the sounds of like a suburban neighborhood or an urban neighborhood. Uh, and she's like, you, you don't write anything we can't hear. And I was like, we can hear that. 
He's like, what? Yeah. We can't hear that. I was like, yeah, we can. She's like, what does that sound like? I'm like, like cars driving, like a car mm-hmm. parking, like a door slamming, like people. She loves this girl lives in an apartment complex, like people chatting outside, like dogs barking. She's like, well, then write dog barks I'm like that. And it's funny because, you know, I come from an editing background, so I know what the sound effects are called. Right. So mm-hmm. if you put like urban night atmosphere night sounds very different than day you know day mm-hmm. you have birds and lawnmowers night you have dogs and like mm-hmm. maybe sirens like they're you know mm-hmm. um and, and you're, you're hinting a, at urban density as well right like yeah, how, yeah. how like or even how the sound bounces off of the other surfaces what surfaces are there like all of those things um right yeah and come it, together and my writing partner's head she's like well the window's closed because she has to open it later so there's no sound i'm like have you been in like a super low rent apartment in the middle Mm -hmm. of the city like there's sound i've been in hotels in new york where it's so loud it's just funny because i think a lot of times writers have Mm -hmm. a different idea of the sounds of the world than editors who Mm -hmm. are literally putting those sounds into the world Um, have you thought about um because i know you did table reads have you thought about doing this exercise for scenes that you're worried maybe aren't working or even again, just to kind of like, sometimes it's easier to test it out just by like, right. you know, well, rip, only ripping because... some soundscapes from YouTube, like ambience in particular, like there's a wealth of awesome ambient sounds on YouTube. I guess there's like a whole subgenre of people who just want to listen to like neighborhoods or like, yeah, I love, you know, I love neighborhoods. East 7th like, Ave. Like oh, a little, that one? a little white noise for sure, man. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I have a ton of ambience. It's not, it's not the access to sound that's an issue. It's sure. the work, but sure. I think yeah. because we're at, a, you know, we're already like in it and it's already like a real mm-hmm. show. Like I don't, and we're being paid for the scripts. Like, I guess I'm kind of, I'm kind of putting that on the side sure. of production yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and trying to just get through, through the script because we were, we get, we get a lot of notes um, sure, sure. and it's like, we got this note. It wasn't even from, it was like from our partner that was like, Hey, you have all these different teachers. Just make it one teacher. Every sure. teacher at the entire school is the same. Like the principal, the hall monitor, the lunch lady, the English mm. teacher, the bio teacher. Is that teacher. a budget thing or is that a, um, they, like, they kind of thought it was more of like, uh, like almost like Charlie Brown style, like, like you're trying to build this world where there's teachers, but like mm-hmm. who the teachers are, isn't that important. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, it's like, well, this teacher wouldn't know this. Like the principal is making an announcement that the is interrupting the, so that this principal is interrupting the teacher's class. So it's like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we basically got it down to two. Now we have a principal that kind of mm-hmm. gives us like admin sure. overall big sure. picture school info. And we only have one teacher, the biology teacher, because that's the class mm-hmm. that um, something happens in there that sets off everything else. And then the rest of school, we've kind of just like rewritten it where the other classes are just, we're, we're more like in the hallways with the characters. Yeah, I think in that's interesting. And, you know, when I did Squaresville, I made it very explicitly an adult free world. I think there's only one mm. or two adults in the whole show and none of them have any answers. Like I really wanted it to be something (laughs) where these kids are on their own and there's not a person to turn to who has a magic wand the way I think, especially at the time YA was like, there were sage parents like weighing in to be like, when I was your age, you do this or that. Yeah, Um, 
uh, and that was a very explicit decision that I, I think I really am proud of. It's maybe. No, that is a cool, I like that idea. It's, it was nice, but so maybe there's something there, but also I think the other thing you are trying to do in texturing in all of these other voices is give it scope. You know, like what do you do when you're doing a podcast and all you have is audio it's like, okay, let's make sure this world feels real. So does it, does it matter like the backstory of the hall monitor? Not really, but a different, an unrecognizable adult voice with a little reverb in an echoey environment right. being like, all right, everybody to class, let's go. Yeah. Or you, antagonizing. You yeah, right. like we had the hall monitor basically takes her, she's t- trying to talk to her friend to tell her why she's mm-hmm. in trouble and the hall mm-hmm. monitor's like, you know, you're not allowed to be on your phone here and she just takes her phone away and it's like, mm-hmm. we're trying to make things hard for our character and these adult teacher type characters are kind of like antagonists to her. But we also, we had, basically it's the first day of school, she sees this guy at lunch, we find out who he is and then he it turns out to be her lab, assigned lab partner in the mm-hmm. science class. But it's weird that the first thing you do when you go to school on the first day of school is go to lunch, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we had a class just kind of like, and it was a little bit more to build out the town and the scout and the kids and her relationship to the school. And so we changed it out to just be the principal, like just, you know, asking her about her summer as she's walking in and she's like, do you mm-hmm. hang out with all your friends? And she's like, nah, like basically we're creating this character that has like no friends, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then she starts telling her print the principal, you know, like I was, I kind of helped out at my dad's shop and the principal like, it's like, great. Can you get to class please? You know? Sure. <laughs> like kind yeah, of yeah. just establish that she's like a little bit all alone. And then we go to lunch, but again, with, with visuals and a visual medium, like Squaresville, you can cut to an exterior shot of mm-hmm. the school, exterior mm-hmm. shot of the house. Here it's just sound. So it's like bell ringing, <laughs> bell ringing, mm-hmm. students talking, mm-hmm. shuffling, chairs scraping, lockers. Closed. Yeah. Backpack zipping. Um, so it's, it's a, it's an interesting challenge. Um, but anyway, yeah, your, your audio play, I'm really curious to see. I'm I'm also curious to see how long it is like relative to, this, mm, you know, mm-hmm. the edit time of like what your screenplay is. But you, you mentioned that you're putting boards in too. Is that, what is, where are those from? Yeah. So a uh, great question. I, so I, um, I'm old school. I like to print things out. And, um, so I've got, uh, my current draft that I'm kind of just noting and like I have some, you know, board templates and all of that. And I've been drawing thumbnails here and there or just kind of doing shot lists. Um, and then I was reminded of um, Storyboarder, I believe. Yeah, Storyboarder, which is um, software that um, allows you to draw storyboards you know, in, in app, basically, whether that's on a tablet or with just a mouse, um, but also has pre-rigged 3D. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at olivenjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at olivenjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. The maquettes models basically mm. that you they have a whole bunch of different poses and things like that i think you can even import stuff from other fi- like from other sources like i think if as long as it's an obj or whatever so i'm imagining you could build a metahuman or something like that and bring it in there um that's quite powerful that like lets you do animatics as well and um i uh i got pretty excited about it have you ever used something like that yeah, I've messed around with them. I just find it's like every tool that gives you something takes something else away. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it gives you some ability to actually use a camera to place it, but yep. takes away the variety of humans you have, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, and if you have three people in a scene, now two of them look the same or just totally wrong. Or now you have a kid playing an adult because so it's, you know, obviously I'd use Blender to kind of mock things up in that I have like a huge access to a huge library of elements. And even there, sometimes I feel like I'm spending so much time setting up the mm-hmm. scene. Building the scene. Where yeah. really, it's just like, it's an all-American living room and yep. someone's watching TV, you know? Yep. Yep. And why did I spend seven hours building the scene to get find these three shots that I could have just sketched, you know? Right, yeah. And so that that's kind of where I'm at now. It's like, this tool is very cool and very powerful and is user-friendly in a way that um, heavier-duty... 3d isn't right like unreal engine or blender or something like that those are those are real robust tools and so this is streamlined just to what i need it to be but there still Mm -hmm. is a bit of a learning curve and there still is a significant time sink if you want to model everybody so that all your characters look great and consistent and you know all of those environments it's the same sort of thing where it's like yeah it's handy to um you know map things out but like if it's two generic characters in a blank background and i'm showing you two shots and over the shoulders and things like that then i might as well just draw it right yeah yeah so all of this is like a process in reminding myself like what my process is and what's the most fruitful for me and I, I anticipate that the jump from stick figure stro- storyboards to photoshopped photo boards is probably what will happen. You know, that when I'm on set or we're mm-hmm. on a scout, I'll take a bunch of photos and or do videos and then kind of like rough, ev- rough everything in that way. 
you don't have the ability to pick lenses or to see the way the environment changes in it with a virtual camera. So who knows? Um, but it, I, like I said, I got excited and then I was like, man, man this is going to be so much work when I could really just draw it real fast. You know, what's interesting is that there are tools like Studio Binder, who I think maybe back when they were Rap Book yeah. uh, sponsored sponsor, us. Yeah. I think they yeah. might have been our very first sponsor four score ago. They, uh, they have some pretty interesting tools that um, let you translate those storyboards into a shot list, into a schedule. So it's a whole ecosystem. I guess I just have been in that realm of like old school, like crack open movie magic and do it that way. Uh, and I'm not against that. I love movie magic and like that's probably what we'll end up using. But in this early phase, the opportunity to reassess why am I doing that this way? Um, just kind of bubbled up. Yeah. As a tangent, yeah. Oren, mm -hmm. that I think you're going to like. Probably not. Um, are you familiar with the film The Creator in theaters now? Yeah. DP'd by two guys I kind of know. Oh, really? Um, oh, very kind of. Greg Frazier, mm -hmm. one of the DPs. He shot the Batman in Dune. Mm -hmm. I worked with him on a Mike Mills spot. Excellent. Um, and then Oren Sofer has the same first name as me, same last name as my mom. Uh, he was the other DP. And yeah, famously, they shot on Sony FX3s, you know, Gareth Edwards mm -hmm. kind of set up these, trying to find the closest locations possible, set up these elaborate sequenced choreographed scenes. And then they just kind of shot them with just whatever shot cool shots they found. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, that's the, a great cliffs notes version. Um, yeah. Consumer grade cameras. So you can go to best guy. I'd say prosumer. Prosumer. Sure. Sure. Okay. Prosumer. Like they shoot TV shows with these things. Too. Yeah. That's yeah. fair. That's fair. It's, um, but it's a $90 million film. So you would expect. Sure. Yeah. Which looks like a $200 million movie, right? Yeah. Um, and Gareth Edwards is, uh, you know, he's like a, like a young Oren Kaplan. He does, mm -hmm. he comes from a VFX background. And so it, I went back down the rabbit hole of trying to remind myself about his workflow. Cause I heard him on the business, um, one of my favorite podcasts. And he was talking about how he shot the, his film monsters mm -hmm. effectively just like on location, semi improvised. Yeah. Um, natural light just kind of running and gunning kind of doc style and then layering in all of these vfx afterwards and it just kind of reminded me that like uh that style filmmaking is something that we sort of came up in we were in the wake of that mentality you mm -hmm. know like you can do your own vfx you can own your own camera i wasn't thinking so much about natural lighting but i should have been you know and certainly mm -hmm. squaresville my first web series you know um I had a one ton grip package and three lights. Yeah. Can't believe you lifted it by yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, every weekend. Um, but so I don't know. I think asking yourself the questions of like, well, this, I know why we do production in commercials the way we do it. Right. And it's all mm -hmm. in service of making sure that all of the different stakeholders have everything they need to get this to be perfect for the purposes of a commercial. Mm -hmm. And if that's not the case, if you're making a film where you are the stakeholder, where you're making all the final decisions and you don't need all of this support to 
make sure everyone's pampered and fed well and all of that, then what are you left with? And what's, what's really the most important? And that's, I've just been thinking about it a lot lately um, and trying to question the assumptions that I have about filmmaking over the years. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, obviously there's so many amazing, like single, like one person band creators, film creators. I think you sent me a YouTube channel today. I don't know if that was your unpaid endorsement or what, but of someone that makes made this incredible video seemingly by himself. Um, these like video essays and kind of journals and things. Um, I saw, you know, Valentina V, right? Mm -hmm, Sure. She on Twitter, she had posted or on X, she had posted this thing that I thought was kind of interesting. She went to like a workshop for agents, you Mm -hmm. know, cinematography agents. And, um, she said that the agent there told everyone that if you have credits that say DP and director in the same movie, that looks bad, mm-hmm. basically. Like if you want to mm-hmm. be a DP that has an agent that gets work, mm-hmm. you sure you can direct things, but you your DP credits should just be DP. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of lamenting the like, like oh, so I guess it's bad if you know how to do everything. If you directed mm-hmm. and shot something, if you... And she'd kind of listed some famous director DPs like Barry mm-hmm. Sonnenfeld and sure. whoever, you know, Gareth Edwards, obviously James Cameron. Monster. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was kind of in the conversation a little bit like Reed Morano, you know, there's these, I was like, I'm pretty sure they're either director or DP. They're not usually like both. And then, you know, a bunch of people like pointed out where I was wrong about that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know, it's just kind of like a different, level of filmmaking there's Mm -hmm. like kind of the people that are just doing it all and it's awesome and they're a lot of them their films go to sundance and they win things but uh there's when you're either in the studio system or doing commercials or doing whatever i mean sure on a rare occasion there's a combo but you're usually get the job either because you're an incredible director or because you're an incredible dp but sure rarely because oh we got a director and a dp in one how Mm -hmm. great yeah. No one cares about that when there's a budget. And I don't I don't know that anyone I think to me it's about figuring out what's good about our big budget productions and what do I miss or what was freeing or what was helpful about those smaller budget productions and bringing yeah. it used to be a more of a conversation, right? It used to be you would do your weekend project and then you would you know, do the, the big full scale project and you could bring, you, you could bring them back and forth. You could be like, well, I don't actually need this thing that we're going to spend a bunch of money on or, oh, I'm going to do the low budget version of this thing that I learned on this commercial. And I think in just kind of just doing bigger stuff for so long, it's, um, I feel like, like I said, I just want to question my assumptions of like, what do I actually need and what do I actually want? Yeah. Um, I mean, though, I, for, for the record, uh, it's always a DP. Like, I don't know how, how we got on the idea of like DP director combo. I guess Valentina V maybe. Yeah. She, yeah, yeah. cause there she's a go. DP director. Combo, yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically. I guess that makes sense. I mean, yeah. she also DPs and, and direct, you know, yeah, yeah. but, uh, you know, like to me, I think the big differentiator between those two types of projects you're working with is like, who's in charge. Mm -hmm. And when we're doing commercials, when you're showrunning something like, you know, maybe you're in charge when you're the showrunner, uh, but But you still have a studio or in the network. Yeah. I'm not in charge. So it's, it's like, 
I'm not the one that says, okay, we got it. Let's go move on. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that says, hey, I think we got it. You all ready to move on? Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, Yuki, the DP that I worked with many times, he would, I would always be like, hey, you know, let's just shoot this on iPhone. Let's shoot it on GoPro. Let's get a bunch of GoPros. Let's put it, get Sony A7S3s and mount it here. And, you know, you see these amazing YouTube videos and you're like, let's do that. You know, let's see what Dude Perfect did mm-hmm. with this thing. Or let's see Mr. You know, Beast did this thing. Um, and he would always say the same thing. He'd be like, look, we can do that, but you do not have a monitor. Client Video Village mm-hmm. is not going to get a monitor mm-hmm. of this GoPro feed. So after every take, we're going to have to disassemble the GoPro Mm-hmm. Go show them what we got before they'll let us move on. And it's like that to him is always the thing that's like a client job versus like an mm-hmm. artistic job. Yeah. Like, do we need to have somebody else constantly monitoring what we're doing? And that's one of the biggest differences between like a pro camera system. When I when I shot system. my first, when I shot Squaresville, which was not my first web series, but like the one that broke me, <laughs> rather broke my career. <laughs> oh, not right, my, right, not, right. Yeah. I didn't have a monitor the first season. <laughs> I would check the frame. It was on a, a, a 5D. I'd look at the frame mm-hmm. and then I would go and sit with the actor. I would be like, That's like, yeah, like Hitchcock or I'd not just Hitchcock, get, but just film, get in there. old film style. Yeah. 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 I was just like, okay, got it. And then, like, if I needed to review something, I would go over there and watch it on the, in, like, the little monitor or whatever. And then we would move on. Yeah. And so, did we have an AC? No. <laughs> did we have like any support staff not really we had a couple guys lighting and then the deep like literally bobby the dp would pull off of the um yeah pull focus pull focus off of the barrel you know every once in a while maybe it was a little softer than i'd like but like you know yeah yeah it wasn't bad it wasn't bad anyway um kaplan yeah enough about my previs yeah i had had one final topic before we wrap things hit me and it, it's kind of related to this and it just kind of came up while we were recording this, but I, you know, I'm, I'm directing this thing next week and we're talking about DPs and I saw this commercial that I've been referencing. That's like really awesome. The camera mm-hmm. movement is amazing. The color is great. The lighting's incredible. And I was like, you know what? Why don't I look up who directed this commercial and then ask that director who the DP was. Right. So I found out the name of the director. They are on a very what? big Wait, say, say it one more time. So you were like, oh, you just Googled the, the director and you were like, did you get on IMDb Pro or like, oh, no. how did I you? I went to Instagram. <laughs> you DM'd, you slid into their DMs is what you're I saying. I DM'd them on Instagram and I said, hey, how are you? I'm a big fan of your work, fellow commercial director. I'm watching this specific spot of yours and I love the camera movement, colors and lighting. I was curious who was the DP on that. Is it someone you regularly work with? And then... um this person, this director, I mean, they're like on the same roster as Michelle Gondry. They're like a, they're mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a A-list commercial director. Um, they wrote me back today, finally. Um, and they said, this job was shot by a DP based in LA, whatever. Uh, I've worked, I haven't worked with him before or after that because I very rarely shoot with the same DPs. But he's very talented and sweet to work with. And I said, oh, out of curiosity, why do you rarely work with the same DPs? Do you not find that it's easier to repeat with the same DP and have a shorthand with them? Um, And they wrote, well, in my experience, the first time you work with a DP, they put all the focus in the work and really want to please you. But then if you work again and again with them, they relax and move their focus to other things like talking, hanging out, etc. And they lose that initial tension of wanting to do a great job. 
but that's just my experience. Many directors work with the same DP all the time and are very mm-hmm. happy about it. Also, I do very versatile jobs and I try to book the right person for that specific jobs. Not all DPs can do very versatile work. So this is like an A-list director doing multi-million really dollar commercials. Never works with the same DP. Wow. Isn't that kind of shocking? <laughs> it is truly shocking. <sighs> yeah, pretty wild. Right, um, because you kind of think sometimes if you get one person to bring, like it's nice if it's someone you've, the DP is someone you've worked with before, or like mm-hmm. a friend has worked with before, a friend of a friend, some frame of reference. And then this director is purposely doesn't do that. And, you know, their reasoning I'm not going to disagree with it that much. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, um, they're not wrong. I guess there is your point about shorthand certainly is, is quite valuable. Um, you know, it comes up, there was a, did you see there was a meme on director content the other day that was like, you know, uh, making a joke about your write or die DP on all of your indie projects. And then as soon as you get, your, oh, yeah, as soon as you get a, a big budgeted budget. something, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're like, bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of people sent me that one. <laughs> <laughs> not, not cause me specifically. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was funny. Uh, yeah, that's really good. But, uh, you know, there's a loyalty factor to it as well. Like the people who, you know, did your early projects. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is a little Machiavellian, maybe? Is that the right way to to use that term? It's more like I want to always be adored, so I want to have, like, a, be in the honeymoon phase every time, mm-hmm. you know? Well, but is the honeymoon phase the most... I, I, that's, that's interesting you refer to it as the honeymoon phase, because, you know, especially over the last two years, I've been put on a lot of, like... DP director blind dates where for whatever reason I was working with a person who I'd never worked with before because the timing circumstances, um, agency preference sometimes. And I just, yeah. I would just miss. Mm hmm. You know, I would miss the familiarity. I would miss the the ability to speak the same language. Like, you don't know the references. You don't know, you know, like on the fly, if you can be like, hey, you know that shot from Alien? And they're like, yep, you're good yeah. to go. Or I guess that doesn't happen that often. But yeah. I mean, it does. It does when you know them well. Or if you can be like, hey, I want, you know, this Raising Arizona shot or whatever, like, depending on who you're working with, you know what their reference points are, or you know you should be calling a lens, or you know you shouldn't call a lens because they hate that, or whatever it is, you know? Um, You learn how to get the best work out of someone rather than it just be fueled by a desire to deliver, you know? And also, like, I think we've both been in situations where, like, you know, that first time is the last time for a reason. You know? Yeah, but I've had a lot of really great first times with the DPs. <laughs> well, all right. Uh, same, same. But I guess, um, isn't it better the second time or no? Sometimes. 
But I mean, I think that's why like directors and DPs break up sometimes is because they feel like, you know, the other one isn't trying as hard. It's like mm-hmm. given the job's a given and they're not like fighting to get it or fighting to have it or fighting to keep it. And at that point you're like, I guess I'm, I'm the only passionate one on this job. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because I feel like there's an echelon of DP where they're booking you know, really consistently Mm -hmm. and like their agent is getting them out there and their work is famous. Um, But that's rarefied air, you know, and that for the most part, I think that the director relationship is a big part of a DP's income. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you, if you got, even if it's five or six people, if they are all booking, then you've got a pretty busy year. But like, if the five or six directors that you came up with or, you know, um, have been working with most frequently aren't doing so well. So I guess I'm saying like, it's kind of always incumbent on the DP if they want to like be working and you're working to kind of stay on your toes, you know, not out of like fear or something like that, but just because like work begets work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do I know? This person is uh, crushing their work later. And I think we'll I'll get your take. I'm going to go. It's a little inconsistent, job to job. (laughs) I'm (laughs) sure it's all great um, if this person is listening. Speaking of inconsistent performances, uh, are you ready for our very inconsistent segment, Unpaid Endorsements? Unpaid Endorsements. Here we go. I got two. One is a TikTok. John Waters, the Pope of Trash, my favorite filth elder, um, auteur and uh, raconteur John Waters, was in town for Outfest. I think uh, there's an exhibit at the um, Academy Museum honoring him right now. So I'm assuming that's why he's in town. Anyway, someone at Outfest asked him about what his advice to filmmakers is. This is the TikTok. Go participate. Go see every movie. See the bad ones, the good ones. Watch movies with the sound off. And you can see how a movie's made. If you ever think your movie you're making is too long, it is. If you ever wonder, should I cut this? The answer is yes. And somebody has to like it beside the person you're fucking and your mother. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's pretty good, right? It's good advice. Yeah, succinct words to live by from John Waters. Uh, And then the other one is... One of my favorites, Joe Para. I've endorsed all of his work, <laughs> essentially, at this point. He's got a new special out. It's free on YouTube. So uh, if you Google Joe Para on, uh, on YouTube, the special is out and is special. Slow and steady. Slow and steady. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, since I have no good endorsements, I'm just going to name you all these things I watched while I was in Toronto mm-hmm. that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched all of Painkiller's. Show run by Micah Fitzerman Blue, who's been on the podcast. Um, it's about Oxycontin and the Sockler family. It's based on Empire of Pain, and the whole thing was directed by Peter Berg. I enjoyed it. And then I watched all of One Piece. Have you watched that? Uh, I have not, though. I know uh, an actor in it, actually. Oh, really? I thought mm-hmm. the cast was spectacular, and I did not recognize any of them. Who's the actor you know? So I know Brashad Mayweather, who plays Patty on One Piece. Well, anyway, our uh, friend Lindsay Gelfand was a writer on it. 
And oh, that's cool. It's based on this like anime manga. Yeah. It just looks so silly and like the trailer just kind of looked weird. And it's just so fun and enjoyable to watch. And the oh, visual good. effects and the world building and all that stuff is amazing. Dude, watch it. It's so fun. It's so easy to just kind of put. I, I actually, you know, each episode ends with a cliffhanger. And I was watching it in Toronto at like 3 a.m. Because I was like on West Coast time. And I was like, oh, no, cliffhanger. Can I go to sleep right now? I watched uh, also Blackberry. Uh, it's a Canadian film, actually, about Blackberry with Jay Baruchel. Mm. Really enjoyed it. And the last movie I saw, which was also surprisingly good, was No Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence. Um, did you see that one? No, uh, but uh, our pal Tim Wilkheim said it was great. Okay, yeah. And it has full frontal nudity from Jennifer Lawrence fighting these people on the beach. It's like a comedy scene. And I was watching it on the airplane and mm-hmm. I was like, uh, should I fast forward? Like, And there was like a baby and like a mom who mm-hmm. seemed kind of conservative sitting like behind me and then but across aisles so she could see my screen very comfortably and i'm just like you know i'm just waiting for that scene to end and i was like i want to watch a scene because it's funny but also like i feel uncomfortable anyhow that scene aside which made me uncomfortable just being watching on an airplane um i just thought the character it it's kind of like screenwriting 101 you know like the characters want different things like the opposite things but they're kind of Mm-hmm. you know just kind of driven that they have the same answer they're kind of symbiotic and there's the secrets and i i don't know but every scene was just so funny and she's so good and the main guy in it i don't know his name but he's just like so good he plays this like dweeb like 18 year old kid and i just i like if you want a fun easy movie to like no hard feelings you can't go wrong awesome yeah i will check it out um or and i'm proud of you that's a lot of good sounding content well, because I was, you know, my, away from my family. I also yeah. started watching After Party, which I think you recommended. Did you not? Oh, I don't know. Somebody I, I else did. It. Yeah, Very yeah. similar to like Glass Onion and Knives Out. And the last thing I did watch, which you recommended, which I also loved, was Renfield. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. just totally. I actually. Yeah, you loved Renfield for sure. Yeah, because yeah, it's kind of yeah. like one piece wackiness, but with kind of the like darkness mm-hmm. of like a. What we do in the shadows, you know. I don't yeah, know. It's yeah. so good. But the, the visual effects were, I thought, pretty incredible. Anyhow, if you want to tell us anything about what we said, have us any questions, want to get a refund for your Patreon, email us, just shoot it pod at gmail.com. If you want to follow us, we're at just shoot it pod on all social media. I'm at O Kaplan on Instagram. And I'm at Mr. Madamlo across all social media, especially Letterboxd. I see you, Letterboxd fam people fan with a no, no with an m with an m okay fan. like people are there some people are following me on letterbox i appreciate it i apologize it's a lot of kids movies right now but getting back into it um get my life back uh this episode was edited by noah bayshore thanks noah and you're listening to music provided by the free music archive and the artist jazar thanks everyone thanks everyone goodbye bye ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs> 